0: part four section seven of the freedom of the will by jonathan edwards this librivox recording is in the public domain concerning the necessity of the divine will some may possibly object against what has been supposed of the absurdity and inconsistence of a self-determining power In the will and the impossibility of its being otherwise than that the will should be determined in every case by some motive and by a motive which as it stands in the view of the understanding is of superior strength to any appearing on the other side that if these things are true it will follow that not only the will of created minds but the will of god himself is necessary in all its determinations concerning which the author of the essay on the freedom of will in god and in the creature pages eighty-five, eighty-six, says what strange doctrine is this contrary to all our ideas of the dominion of god does it not destroy the glory of his liberty of choice and take away from the creator and governor and benefactor of the world that most free and sovereign agent all the glory of this sort of freedom does it not seem to make him a kind of mechanical medium of fate and introduce mr Hobbes's doctrine of fatality and necessity into all things that god hath to do with does it not seem to represent the blessed god as a being of vast understanding as well as power and efficiency but still to leave him without a will to choose among all the objects within his view in short it seems to make the blessed god a sort of almighty minister of fate under its universal and supreme influence as it was the professed sentiment of some of the ancients that fate was above the gods this is declaiming rather than arguing and an application to men's imaginations and prejudices rather than to mere reason i would now calmly endeavour to consider whether there be any reason in this frightful representation But before I enter upon a particular consideration of the matter I would observe that it is reasonable to suppose it should be much more difficult to express or conceive things according to exact metaphysical truth relating to the nature and manner of the existence of things in the divine understanding and will and the operation of these faculties if I may so call them. Of the divine mind than in the human mind which is infinitely more within our view more proportionate to the measure of our comprehension and more commensurate to the use and import of human speech language is indeed very deficient in regard of terms to express precise truth concerning our own minds and their faculties and operations words were first formed to express external things and those that are applied to express things internal and spiritual are almost all borrowed and used in a sort of figurative sense whence they are most of them attended with a great deal of ambiguity and unfixedness in their signification occasioning innumerable doubts difficulties and confusions In inquiries and controversies about things of this nature but language is much less adapted to express things existing in the mind of the incomprehensible deity precisely as they are we find a great deal of difficulty in conceiving exactly of the nature of our own souls and notwithstanding all the progress which has been made in past ages and the present in this kind of knowledge whereby our metaphysics as it relates to these things is brought to greater perfection than once it was yet here is still work enough left for future inquiries and researches and room for progress still to be made for many ages and generations but we had need to be infinitely able metaphysicians to conceive with clearness according to strict proper and perfect truth concerning the nature of the divine essence and the modes of action and operation in the powers of the divine mind and it may be noted particularly that though we are obliged to conceive of some things in god as consequent and dependent on others and of some things pertaining to the divine nature and will as the foundation of others, and so before others in the order of nature, as we must conceive of the knowledge and holiness of God as prior in the order of nature to his happiness, the perfection of his understanding as the foundation of his wise purposes and decrees, the holiness of his nature as the cause and reason. Of his holy determinations and yet when we speak of cause and effect antecedent and consequent fundamental and dependent determining and determined in the first being who is self-existent independent of perfect and absolute simplicity and immutability and the first cause of all things doubtless there must be less propriety in such representations than when we speak of derived dependent beings, who are compounded and liable to perpetual mutation and succession. Having premised this, I proceed to observe concerning the forementioned author's exclamation about the necessary determination of God's will in all things, by what he sees to be fittest and best, that all the seeming force of such objections and exclamations must arise from an imagination that there is some sort of privilege or dignity in being without such a moral necessity as will make it impossible to do any other than always choose what is wisest and best as though there were some disadvantage meanness and subjection in such a necessity a thing by which the will was confined kept under and held in servitude by something which as it were maintained a strong and invincible power and dominion over it by bonds that held him fast and from which he could by no means deliver himself whereas this must be all mere imagination and illusion it is no disadvantage or dishonour to a being necessarily to act in the most excellent and happy manner from the necessary perfection of his own nature this argues no imperfection inferiority or dependence nor any want of dignity privilege or ascendancy it is not inconsistent with the absolute and most perfect sovereignty of god the sovereignty of god is his ability and authority to do whatever pleases him whereby he doth according to his will in the armies of heaven and amongst the inhabitants of the earth and none can stay his hand or say unto him what dost thou the following things belong to the sovereignty of god viz one, supreme universal and infinite power whereby he is able to do what he pleases, without control, without any confinement of that power, without any subjection, in the least measure, to any other power, and so without any hindrance or restraint, that it should be either impossible or at all difficult for him to accomplish his will, and without any dependence of his power on any other power, from whence it should be derived, or of which it should stand in any need, so far from this that all other power is derived from him, and is absolutely dependent on him. 2. That he has supreme authority, absolute and most perfect right to do what he wills, without subjection to any superior authority, or any derivation of authority from any other or limitation by any distinct independent authority, either superior, equal, or inferior, he being the head of all dominion, and fountain of all authority, and also without restraint by any obligation, implying either subjection, derivation, or dependence, or proper limitation. 3. That his will is supreme, underived. And independent on anything without himself being in everything determined by his own counsel having no other rule but his own wisdom his will not being subject to or restrained by the will of any other and other wills being perfectly subject to his for that his wisdom which determines his will is supreme perfect underived, self-sufficient and independent so that it may be said as in isaiah forty fourteen with whom took he counsel and who instructed him and taught him in the path of judgment and taught him knowledge and showed him the way of understanding there is no other divine sovereignty but this and this is properly absolute sovereignty no other is desirable nor would any other be honourable or happy and indeed there is no other conceivable or possible it is the glory and greatness of the divine sovereign that his will is determined by his own infinite all-sufficient wisdom in everything and is in nothing at all directed either by inferior wisdom or by no wisdom whereby it would become senseless arbitrariness determining and acting without reason design or end if god's will is steadily and surely determined in everything by supreme wisdom then it is in everything necessarily determined to that which is most wise and certainly it would be a disadvantage and indignity to be otherwise for if the divine will was not necessarily determined to what in every case is wisest and best it must be subject to some degree of undesigning contingence and so in the same degree liable to evil to suppose the divine will liable to be carried hither and thither at random by the uncertain wind of blind contingence, which is guided by no wisdom no motive no intelligent dictate whatsoever if any such thing were possible would certainly argue a great degree of imperfection and meanness infinitely unworthy of the deity if it be a disadvantage for the divine will to be attended with this moral necessity then the more free from it and the more left at random the greater dignity and advantage and consequently to be perfectly free from the direction of understanding and universally and entirely left to senseless unmeaning contingents to act absolutely at random would be the supreme glory It no more argues any dependence of God's will that his supremely wise volition is necessary than it argues a dependence of his being that his existence is necessary. If it be something too low for the Supreme Being to have his will determined by moral necessity so as necessarily in every case to will in the highest degree, holily and happily then why is it not also something too low for him to have his existence and the infinite perfection of his nature and his infinite happiness determined by necessity? It is no more to God's dishonor to be necessarily wise than to be necessarily holy. And if neither of them be to his dishonor, then it is not to his dishonor necessarily to act holily and wisely." And if it be not dishonorable to be necessarily holy and wise in the highest possible degree, no more is it mean and dishonorable necessarily to act holily and wisely in the highest possible degree, or which is the same thing to do that in every case, which, above all other things, is wisest and best. The reason why it is not dishonorable to be necessarily most holy is because holiness in itself is an excellent and honorable thing for the same reason it is no dishonor to be necessarily most wise and in every case to act most wisely or do the thing which is the wisest of all for wisdom is also in itself excellent and honorable the forementioned author of the essay on the freedom of will etc as has been observed represents that doctrine of the divine will being in everything necessarily determined by superior fitness as making the blessed god a kind of almighty minister and mechanical medium of fate he insists pages ninety three ninety four that this moral necessity and impossibility is in effect the same thing with physical and natural necessity and impossibility and says pages fifty four fifty five the scheme which determines the will always and certainly by the understanding and the understanding by the appearance of things seems to take away the true nature of vice and virtue for the sublimest of virtues and the vilest of vices seem rather to be matters of fate and necessity flowing naturally and necessarily from the existence the circumstances and present situation of persons and things for this existence and situation necessarily makes such an appearance to the mind from this appearance flows a necessary perception and judgment concerning these things this judgment necessarily determines the will and thus by this chain of necessary causes virtue and vice would lose their nature and become natural ideas and necessary things instead of moral and free actions and yet this same author allows pages thirty thirty one that a perfectly wise being will constantly and certainly choose what is most fit and says pages one o two, one o three. i grant and always have granted that wheresoever there is such antecedent superior fitness of things god acts according to it so as never to contradict it and particularly in all his judicial proceedings as a governor and distributor of rewards and punishments yea he says expressly page 42 that it is not possible for god to act otherwise than according to this fitness and goodness in things so that according to this author putting these several passages of his essay together there is no virtue nor anything of a moral nature in the most sublime and glorious acts and exercises of god's holiness justice and faithfulness and he never does anything which is in itself supremely worthy and above all other things fit and excellent but only as a kind of mechanical medium of fate And in what he does, as the judge and moral governor of the world, he exercises no moral excellency, exercising no freedom in these things, because he acts by moral necessity, which is in effect the same with physical or natural necessity, and therefore he only acts by an hobbistical fatality, as a being indeed of vast understanding, as well as power and efficiency, as he said before, but without a will to choose being a kind of almighty minister of fate, acting under its supreme influence. For he allows that in all these things God's will is determined constantly and certainly by a superior fitness, and that it is not possible for him to act otherwise. And if these things are so, what glory or praise belongs to God for doing holily and justly, or taking the most fit, holy, wise, and excellent course in any one instance? whereas according to the scriptures and also the common sense of mankind it does not in the least derogate from the honor of any being that through the moral perfection of his nature he necessarily acts with supreme wisdom and holiness but on the contrary his praise is the greater herein consists the height of his glory the same author page fifty six supposes that herein appears the excellent character of a wise and good man that though he can choose contrary to the fitness of things yet he does not but suffers himself to be directed by fitness and that in this conduct he imitates the blessed god and yet he supposes it contrary wise with the blessed god not that he suffers himself to be directed by fitness when he can choose contrary to the fitness of things but that he cannot choose contrary to the fitness of things as he says page 42 that it is not possible for god to act otherwise than according to this fitness where there is any fitness or goodness in things yea he supposes page 31 that if a man were perfectly wise and good he could not do otherwise than be constantly and certainly determined by the fitness of things one thing more i would observe before i conclude this section And that is that if it derogate nothing from the glory of god to be necessarily determined by superior fitness in some things then neither does it to be thus determined in all things from anything in the nature of such necessity as at all detracting from god's freedom independence absolute supremacy or any dignity or glory of his nature state or manner of acting or as implying any infirmity restraint or subjection and if the thing be such as well consists with God's glory, and has nothing tending at all to detract from it, then we need not be afraid of ascribing it to God in too many things, lest thereby we should detract from God's glory too much End of part four section seven